You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. Who invented the burrito? Come on, that's an easy one. (laughs) (laughs) Or when was it invented? I should rather ask. Oh, geez. This is a tough one because... How old do you think it is? Oh, man. Oh, this is really tough. There's so many different things I can think of in terms of people using like maize and clear back to like Aztecs and Mayans. And I have no idea. I'm going to guess a thousand years ago. <laughs> no, no. Unfortunately, no. Juan Mendez, a street vendor in Mexico, invented the burrito. Mm. And this was during the Mexican Revolution of the 1910s. Oh, so, not so, that long so time ago. very a long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Mendez <laughs> decided to wrap his food in a flour tortilla to keep it warm while transporting on his small donkey. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And again, I overshoot. <laughs> well, you have four kids. <laughs> Three. Okay. Three. <laughs> I'm just joking. But yes. Yeah. I also thought it was a lot longer. Maybe there is... There has to be people that wrapped something in something before that, but that's the official start of the burrito. Nice. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you guys are doing because it's becoming a boring question. <laughs> you guys are getting fantastic through the pandemic and the geopolitical global temperature and the civil unrest in the US, I would assume. Yes. We're getting closer and closer to election day. Yeah. And Which is frightening and exciting one of the ones. Yes. And I'm getting closer and closer to... Drinking more. <laughs> to Pacifico and Modelo. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to be engaged, but it's also good to disconnect and... It's tiring, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've got to really like balance it and make sure you're focusing on life and what's in front of you. So we're yeah. trying to do that. Yeah. Nice. We had Emerson's six-year-old birthday yesterday. And uh, congrats. Yeah. It's amazing. So exciting. Yeah. He was so cute. Like we told him that he could choose dinner, like anything he wants. Nice. And he wanted sushi. A six-year-old. And we both sushi. felt like we've accomplished something. Yes. This is a man of the world. Yeah. he lo- well, It was a toss-up between Indian and sushi is his two favorite things. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's amazing. It's just cool seeing them grow up and just thinking back the last six years of just thinking of the six birthdays we've had for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where we were, when we celebrated, who we were with. And this time around is so different. You know, it's just the four of us inside of a house and nobody else. Yeah. It's just very different, right? And he had a blast. Yeah. Know, we made it very special for him. But still, it's just different times we live in. So anyway, let's get cracking. Today's a super interesting story. But before we get into it, let's ask a question. Like, how do we start a massive food empire? If you think about that, right? The story of how Ray Kroc started McDonald's is the stuff of like food legends, right? And by these days, can anyone start something that big? You know, if you think of like food innovation, mm-hmm. it's kind of like tapped out. Well, a lot of people would think it's tapped out. And is it really done? Is there any room left to create another empire? Well, first, we need to challenge the idea of fast food and of the way we think about it and maybe create something new. Mm. But we shouldn't really get ahead of ourselves here. So let's dive into the story. So back in the early 1990s, a former line cook 
who had dreams of becoming a chef, started something that would change the very idea of fast food. Steve Ells was a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. He had dreams of starting his own fine dining restaurant, but he was inspired by the taquilleras and burrito restaurants in San Francisco's Mission District. Mm. He saw how popular they were and thought he could take that idea and make it popular outside of California. Maybe a taco shop could fund his fine dining restaurant dream. So in 1993, Steve borrowed 85000 from his dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. And so he opens his first restaurant in a former Dolly Madison ice cream shop in Denver, Colorado. See, I told you. Just down the street from the University of Denver campus. Mm. His restaurant was called Chipotle Mexican uh-huh. Grill. Steve and his dad did the numbers when they opened. Yeah, and they just needed to sell 107 burritos per day to be profitable. That's really not that many when you no. think about it. Like that's And Chipotle is the only fast food place that we ever eat at. Because I consider it as healthy. Yeah. It's healthy and the kids love it. And it's one of the only places we, we allow our kids to eat rice. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to clean it up. <laughs> Like when we leave, it's like a mountain of rice on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we got to like leave the restaurant really fast. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Sneak out the back door. But it is healthy food, right? So they needed to sell 107 burritos to be profitable. And after a month, they were selling over a thousand burritos per day. Wow. Less than two years later in 95, they opened their second location using the profits from the first store. Then they took out a small business loan and opened a third, and they were well on their way. Steve's dad saw this was working, and he invested a little more money, just $1.5 million. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Things were getting serious. He had no business background and no real business plan at this point. So let's actually listen to a quote from an interview on NPR's How I Built This with Els. This was going to be one restaurant, and this was going to be a cash cow that could hmm. uh, fund and help support a full-scale restaurant. You know, I knew I knew that full-scale restaurants were a dicey proposition. I mean, they go out of business often. It's, it's hard to make margins, very difficult to operate. And so I wanted Chipotle to be a backup. Wait, just and, to be clear, you had already had a bunch of stores at this point. You did not have a business plan? No, no. There was no just business making, plan. You were just making burritos. I was, I was just making this right. up as I, as, I, okay. as I went along. Right. Well, at least he was humble and honest about it. He didn't pretend to have it all sorted out. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, and it sounds like it ended up turning into something very different than what he originally imagined. Yeah. Else formed a board of directors, created a business plan, and raised an additional $1.8 million. And in 98... There were 16 Chipotle restaurants, all in Colorado, and the big boys were starting to smell money. And Else and his board were two. One of the two board members happened to work for McDonald's in business development. And this is how Steve Else ended up bringing some Chipotle burritos to a McDonald's board meeting (laughs) and then happens to walk out with $50 million. Wow. Yeah. Well, not exactly, but McDonald's ended up buying a majority share in the fledging company, which I had no idea that McDonald's had anything to do with mm. Chipotle before mm. this. Mm-hmm. And they channeled that $50 million into building Chipotle into the greatest success stories of modern restaurant history. By 2005, this is amazing and sad, 
McDonald's owned 90% of Chipotle. Wow. But in 2006, with over 500 Chipotle locations in the U.S. and more opening every month, McDonald's sold it off and divested completely of Chipotle. Interesting. I'm sure they're kicking themselves now, right? Well, that's a good question because what was going on at the time is Chipotle was one of the first to really pioneer the fast casual space. Fast casual healthy space. Yes, healthy and fast casual in general. And so then you start to see all these cafeteria line style, fast casual places popping up in all different types of categories, pizza, you name it. And fast casual companies are just popping up like crazy. And so McDonald's at this time is really struggling. Their business is actually starting to decline a little bit. And so they're really kind of having trouble innovating and keeping up in their core business. And like we've talked about a lot, there's only so many adjacencies to your business that you can actually successfully handle at a time. And so McDonald's, I think, was really trying to consolidate and focus on their core business. So to put it into perspective, at this time, Chipotle had 500 locations in the U.S. McDonald's, the core brand, had 31,000 restaurants. So if you think about like where they want to put their focus and what the core of their business is, it kind of a little bit makes sense at this point that they're going to say, hey, the core brand is struggling. We really need to focus on figuring that out. And they actually owned other restaurants and chains. They owned Donato's Pizza. They owned Pret. They owned Boston Market. And so they had this huge divestiture of all of these other tertiary brands to really focus in on the core brand. And according to press accounts, McDonald's, when they sold, said that these other brands were distractions to the McDonald's core brand. And for their part, Chipotle, once they were free from McDonald's, they never looked back. So by 2015, Chipotle had over 2,000 locations, continuing that really strong growth, net revenue of over $475 million, and an all-time high stock price of over $785 a share with more than 45,000 employees. But then disaster struck. And I remember this clearly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) First, in August of 2015, health officials linked Chipotle to an E. coli breakout that sickened over 50 people in multiple states. Soon after, more than 120 Boston College students showed up at the college health services with norovirus symptoms, which were later linked to an area of Chipotle. And 65 more people in the area, including Boston College students and athletes, got sick after eating at a nearby Chipotle. This was national news. I remember stopped going there during this time. Yeah, same here. <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, and I saw all those funny memes about people posting things about like lettuce saying, oh, just as I start my diet, I've got to stop eating lettuce. Yeah, exactly. And so then there's this lettuce shortage and you go That's into right. a Chipotle and there was no lettuce. You get anything else except for lettuce. Yeah. And it really hurt them, right? Eating a Chipotle wasn't safe. And just like that, people stopped going. And part of the problem was that they never really explained truly what was going on. They mm. didn't own it and have clear communication to their customers. Yeah. Both Chipotle and the CDC worked to get to the bottom of it, but they were never able to really find the specific source or kind of like cause of what happened. There were suspicions that it was 
tainted beef or poorly handled vegetables and specifically lettuce, but no cause was ever conclusively determined. And they actually went through a couple of different time periods where they had one thing happen and then a few months later, another thing happened, kind of a thing. So they couldn't really say whether, you know, the problem was because of an employee or supplier or, you know, Which in itself really is worrisome too, right? If right. you've got an outbreak and you can't pinpoint it, that's not good. Yeah. So the only thing worse than food poisoning is food poisoning that you can't trace. So if you don't know where it comes from, you can't say for sure that it's gone or what you're going to do to fix it. And with no real information to share, Chipotle did little to reassure the public The press hammers Chipotle, and let's listen to a few clips about that. It feels like supply chain management is a really crucial part of running a national retail chain. I mean, when when this happens, you look and you say, wow, McDonald's is good, right? Because they serve so many more people, and you don't have this issue. Well, and I think if you want to go to the far end of the spectrums, you're going to have healthy food that's natural, and you're going to have health issues, or you're going to have food that's processed and cooked, and it's a different different type of health concern. So um, I think, you know... There's the po- 800 calories in a burrito, okay? <laughs> so there's nothing healthy about no, that burrito. But wh- why don't they come out and definitively say what it is? You know, they say it's E. coli or it's a norovirus. Right. They ought to be able to pin that down. In order to get ahead of this, it seems to me, these companies, you have to identify what the problem was, why it happened, mm-hmm. and what we're going to do about it so that it mm-hmm. won't occur again. I think they've been too vague about what they're going to do about it. Their whole business model revolves around the fact that they're the healthy fast food option out there. And that's their niche. And they've been killing it for years now with that niche. But this is putting a stake in the heart of that. There's no way that this is going to rebound next week. So what do do it? No, I'll eat this. I mean, where did this come from? It didn't come from Boston, From my desk. It (laughs) from your desk. (laughs) (laughs) It was before the whole scare. It's only oh. been sitting there for a past right, couple days, but, you know, otherwise it's good. It's fresh. And we'll see if Tim makes it to the show tomorrow. <laughs> Outstanding, huh? I like this. Nice yeah, work. I'm going to finish it's this. It's all yours. All, nobody else here wants it. Ouch. Mm. Yeah, and the company's stock price plummets. So just as quickly as Chipotle rises to prominence, it seems they could potentially lose it all, and this might be the beginning of the end. You say the stock price problem, they dropped with 13% in just two months. It's actually surprising that it didn't drop more with what they were going through. Yeah, so the team started working on reassuring customers, but it's hard, right? To your point, how are you going to tell people what you fix if you can't even find the actual problem? Right. And to rebuild their trust that they've lost along the way. So they started testing different strategies, including reformulation of their food safety protocols, changing the employee sick leave policies, and offering customers free burritos to come back. Come back now and we'll give you E. coli. (laughs) For free. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The scandal really rocked the company. Even the leadership was shaken. High executive salaries came under scrutiny, specifically the company's founder, Steve Ellis, and co-CEO, Martin Moran, who both together made $50 million in 2014. Moran eventually left Chipotle and else resumed full leadership, and they needed a drastic change. They had to reassure the public that Chipotle was taking these illnesses or outbreak very seriously, and that their restaurants were safe to eat in. It's like a perception problem. And more than anything, they couldn't risk another incident, 
and it was time for decisive action. So, on February 8th, 2016... They started making pizzas. (laughs) They took a bold step. Not that bold, but it was bold. That morning... Every single Chipotle location in the United States closed for a nationwide all-staff meeting on food safety. Yeah, I remember that too. Yep. Yep. A new head of food safety was introduced and new safety procedures were announced, including having all employees wash their hands every 30 minutes. I remember this was when they installed the hand sanitizers for the lines as you go through the store. Having two employees verify that produce had been immersed in hot water for five seconds, this kind of like flash sanitation process to kill germs on their surfaces, and that they would be using a process called pascalization, a high-pressure processing method to treat ingredients. Mm. And then they set out on the even larger task of now rebuilding their image and reconnecting with their once loyal customers. Chipotle's marketing had always been very bright, positive, tongue-in-cheek, didn't take anything too seriously. It was very kind of jovial, but they needed to strike the right tone now. So they couldn't just act like the contamination incidents had never happened, but you also don't want to shine even more light on it. Yeah, you want to distance yourself from it, but you also need to instill confidence that you've fixed it. Exactly. So they go back to the drawing board with their product marketing. They start giving their product away with free offers and buy one, get one promotions. But their strategic efforts were still largely, at least from a marketing perspective, a holdover from the pre-contamination era. Mm-hmm. You know, They were just very decentralized. They didn't have a significant national strategy at that point for rebooting. And they weren't also expanding the audience at this time because you're really just trying to recover your core customers that have abandoned you. When I heard this and they said, we're back open again, I went there immediately. I didn't even question. Did you? Did you go back? I waited. I did go back, but I probably didn't go back for the next time until probably like, geez, six to eight months afterwards. Oh, wow. You're a much better person than me. (laughs) Maybe just a much more scared person, but (laughs) it just felt sketchy to me. Yeah. Well, this is the only non-house place we eat at. And since then, I eat at Chipotle like three times a week. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in 2018, Brian Nichol replaced Steve Ellis as CEO, the former CMO from Pizza Hut, and most recently CEO of Taco Bell. So he's been around the block a few mm. times. He's folded a few burritos once or twice before. Yes. Maybe he hasn't, actually. <laughs> he's folded a few tacos before. Nicole had repositioned Taco Bell as a lifestyle brand and was the master at marketing strategies and branding within the food industry. And specifically knew how to use social media and digital marketing to reach new and younger audiences. And Nicole had the perspective to see the brand as a new chapter and to dispense of what had been the conventional wisdom of the brand up until this point. So he launched a centralized national marketing initiative And he focused heavily on digital, which I think is the key inflection point of this entire story today. Yeah. So he lures customers back with a new loyalty program and provides customers with more convenient ways to order, really focusing on digital innovation, both in terms of within the stores, as well as how people access the brand and how people are able to order it. For example, new locations added digital ordering kiosks, drive-throughs for pickup and digital orders. And because he's so focused on this entire 
digital innovation process that actually really benefited Chipotle by the time Huge. coronavirus came around because they already had a certain amount of infrastructure. They were already on DoorDash. They had already really focused on delivery through digital. And their app. You said new car, you order it, you just walk inside, you pick it up and you walk out. Yeah, it's just so easy and so convenient. And he learned that lesson. Very similar to what Domino's did in order to come back and that they really focused on digital ease and removing any sort of friction to just simply ordering and getting the product. And he also does a lot of really innovative marketing tactics, including social, to really drive additional awareness. He launches these really big campaigns on TikTok that are extremely effective and focuses on digital innovation across the board. In interviews, he specifically spoke of a digital transformation at Chipotle. Yeah, with the CMO at the time, Chris Brandt, leading the way they launched campaigns that promoted mobile and online ordering for first-time customers. Quote, it tripled our delivery business and grew our baseline 10 to 15%, Brand said. We were like, hey, if we promote digital, that really can help the baseline business. Their revitalized strategy resulted in a $1.2 billion in new revenue over a three-month period. That is 65% increase in digital sales. Wow. And perhaps the best thing of the brand at this point was the focus on convenience, like you just said, and better technology was successful at attracting the younger customers. Notoriously hard to win over in the competitive restaurant category, quote, Chipotle really hadn't embraced digital and we were lucky at Chipotle that about half of our customers are Gen Z or millennials, brand said. They really want to access the brand via digital. Yeah, and the numbers are really proving the strategy out. So revenues increased almost 14% in early 2019, and digital sales more than doubled, making up almost 16% of total revenue. So Brandt's clear understanding of marketing comes through when he talks about Chipotle's position. And he said, quote, what you want innovation to do in the restaurant business is to drive people into the restaurant. You almost don't care whether they order it or not. You're just trying to create news and interest and energy. And that's true. I mean, restaurants are so foot traffic driven. That's been the primary measure of success is you get foot traffic into your restaurant and the rest will follow. Because once somebody walks through the door, they're pretty likely yeah. to, yeah, yeah, they're, there. they're there, they're most probably going to eat. And so the number one metric is always, how do you increase your foot traffic into the store? And then you can focus on things like average order value and increasing your VIP customer base and loyalty and repeat and all that kind of stuff. But it all starts with getting that person in the door for the first time. And while some of Chipotle's comeback story is familiar, you know, new management and they come up with new positioning, there are other aspects that don't actually follow the typical comeback playbook. Mm -hmm. So for example, they didn't fire their agency. We always get fired. This is the first thing that happens, right? Fire the agency. <laughs> right. Anytime your marketing isn't working, We need right? some fresh thinking. Fire <laughs> yeah, the agency. Just like our food. We need it fresh. Yeah, exactly. So Brandt actually decides to stick with their agency, the agency that Chipotle had used for years before he had arrived. He knew that in the midst of changing their entire strategy, they needed somebody who knew the brand. It's one less thing to worry about, number one. And number two, you need to be able to kind of bridge the gap from who you were to where you're going. You have to kind of keep some elements to make the changes work, and you need everybody involved and invested in what you're doing. 
So he was humble enough to know that there were people on the brand team who knew the brand inside and out and could be a big asset to him as he was making these changes. Yeah, and another surprise is they didn't go back to what worked before, which is interesting. The Chipotle team recognized that the elements that had worked for their brand before had worked to get them to a place they needed to move past. Mm. Their earlier strategies had created a successful niche brand, but success in the future would have to transcend that. So from my point of view, the lessons to be learned is know what your strategy is going to work for. Mm. A strategy may be successful, but you may not want the result of that success. So if you want a different result, you need to do things differently. I know that sounds obvious, but a lot of times people rehash the past, trying to learn from it addictively and trying to project it into the future <laughs> and right. it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you going to go to Chipotle after this? It sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, <this laughs> the fajita veggies and steak is yeah. just such a great pair. It's a great yeah. story. Mm. Well, on that note, let's run to Chipotle and wrap it up today. And we'll speak to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.